Hello, welcome to the Revive for the Journey podcast, where we give you this week's message from Cove Church. We pray that it blesses you and helps you grow deeper in your journey with Christ. Enjoy. Well, hello, Cove Church. So great to be with you today. I hope all is well in your world. Um, There is a classic song written in 1965 by the legendary duo of Paul McCartney and John Lennon. The title of the song is We Can Work It Out. Uh, It's a song that speaks to the issues that every human being will eventually have to address. Conflict, disagreement, misunderstanding. You can listen to the song, and maybe for those online, you should probably give it a listen. But uh, if you listen to that song, you'll hear in the lyrics the tension. Try to see it my way. Listen to what I'm saying. It's obvious that things aren't going well, yet the song also speaks of hope. Amidst all that seems to be breaking, it declares this phrase, we can work it out. Now, I don't know if whatever was trying to be worked out got worked out for them when they wrote the song. But for those who follow Jesus, that is a hope that we can absolutely experience. Even amidst broken communication and strained relationship, the presence of Jesus in my life ensures that I can experience one of God's great miracles, the miracle of reconciliation. A miracle that comes into play when we are facing that crucial relationship and we find ourselves saying, we can't work it out. It's too far. It's too hurt. There's there's too much ugly water underneath that bridge. And I understand those times. And some of us can identify relationships right now that are in that exact place. But the word of encouragement for you is this. Regardless of where a relationship is today, Jesus wants to work out a better tomorrow. So for those relationships, and we know we're called to be in, yet we also know a healing is required. This is where we, together with Jesus, can declare this truth that we can work it out. In fact, Jesus would tell us not only can we work it out, but that we should work it out. That's where we begin today on this, the first installment of our new series called Summer Playlist. It's a series where we're going to take a song that would be a staple on many a road trip, many a summer playlist, and we're going to take a cue from its content to speak to a relational miracle that Jesus wants to do in our life. Because just like that feeling you get when you're cruising down the highway in the summer, The wind is in your hair, and the the speakers are cranked to just this side of distortion. It's sunny, it's vibrant, and everything in that moment just feels right. Jesus wants to experience that summer road trip feeling every day. In fact, he promised us that we could. John 10.10, Jesus says these words, The thief enters only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came so that they could have life, indeed, so that they could have life to the fullest. <laughs> this, that is the series scripture that we will read at the beginning of each of these messages. And it's so important because if there is something that becomes a drain on a full life, uh, 
It's when we encounter relational brokenness, isn't it? It's those things that deplete us. Even though good things are happening in our life, because of those broken relationships, we feel weary. Like some part of the goodness of God is just leaking out of us. It's like, it's like this. If you've ever worn waders as a fisherman, I, I've worn waders a lot, and I've probably owned more than a dozen pairs of waders in my life. And the story is always the same. The first trip out with waders, they were great, you are dry, they are perfect. But by the second trip, they leak. And usually it's in just one leg. Usually it's a seam, but it's in just one leg. By the second trip, it, there's always a leak. It doesn't matter, and, and it, it always gets your attention. You're always like, oh man, here's another leak in one leg. It doesn't matter how dry the other leg is, you always notice that this leg is leaking. That's what happens in relational brokenness. It doesn't matter how many good relationships I have, that broken one becomes the one we always think about. And that's where Jesus wants to give us a new way. And that new way starts with this. First, the process of reconciliation. Matthew 18 is where we're going to be. Let's read it together. Big voices, go. If your brother or sister sins against you, go and correct them when you are alone together. If they listen to you, then you've won over your brother or sister. But if they won't listen, take with you one or two others so that every word may be established by the mouth of two or three witnesses. But if they still won't pay attention, report it to the church. And if they won't pay attention even to the church, treat them as you would a Gentile and a tax collector. Several principles are found within this process that we see Jesus outlining here. The first principle would have to do with this, the idea of direct conversation. Here's the problem that we have to first address in our hearts. Often, amidst the pain of conflict, what God has given to us as a last resort sadly becomes our first step. Meaning... Let's say we're at odds with that other person. We're hurt. We're angry. And in that place, we just skip to the end of the line and we report them to the community. We create distance between ourselves and them and them and others. And yet, and we just make sure everybody knows how wrong they are. Yet that is always the last resort in the process of reconciliation. At times, some of those actions are necessary to create a relational safety for others. But certainly, it's not the norm, and certainly it's the last resort. Yet our temptation, when we're hurt, is to make that the first step. Someone hurts us, what do we do? We rant about it to others, we make scathing social media re remarks, we build our team around us of people that, want, that we tell them our perspective so they see it our way, and we say, look what they did. And often those efforts take place before or instead of ever sitting down with that person, eye to eye, knee to knee, and trusting God's process for healing. The goal always is one human being talking to another human being and that it would be just the people involved doing the talking. The first goal of, of reconciling broken relationship is to keep the circle of hurt as small as possible for as long as possible. Why? Because the larger the circle grows, the more removed people 
become from the reconciliation process. Here's what that means. Let's say I have beef with Jill, okay? If your name is Jill, I'm not referring to you, Jill. This is just a random person named Jill, not you, Jill, okay? Imaginary Jill. And by saying beef, I don't mean I'm eating filet mignon with Jill. I mean that there's, there's some hurt between me and Jill. There's some discord. There's some brokenness between me and Jill. There's the problem. I'm upset. I'm in pain. And so is Jill. But instead of going to Jill directly, I instead tell Will and Bill and Patty McGill. Okay? Makes me feel better to tell them my perspective and build my team and get my support. So I share with Will and Bill and Patty McGill about my beef with Jill. Where's the harm, right? I'm just sharing with my friends, Will and Bill and Patty McGill, all that Jill did to make me feel ill. <laughs> but here's where it gets tricky. Let's say I then read Matthew 18 and I feel a sense of conviction and I go and fix things with Jill. I die, knee to knee, and it's all good with me and Jill. We even go together to fetch water from up the hill. So I go and heal things with Jill. I sit down, I share, I find understanding and forgiveness. Both of us do. But Will and Bill and Patty McGill may never get that chance. In fact, Will and Bill and Patty McGill might tell Phil and Gil and Grandpappy Dill. <laughs> now there are a bunch of folks that don't even know Jill, but when they think of Jill, they feel ill. Because I decided to add them to my team of torment, my posse of pain, my entourage of angst. And like dandelion seeds on a summer afternoon, the seeds of hurt and discord travel far and travel fast. Will and Bill and Patty McGill, along with Phil and Gill and Grandpappy Dill, they don't get the same process that I had with Jill. There's nothing for them to reconcile because the hurt was not theirs in the first place. And although my offense with Jill has been reduced to nil, Will, Bill, and Patty McGill, along with Phil and Gill and Grandpappy Dill, have now picked up an offense that they may carry for the rest of their lives. Unreconciled and unredeemed. A part of their hearts made lesser. Why? Because a circle that should have been small got big. That, friends, is not what Jesus wants for them. And that is not what Jesus wants for you. So the first goal of relational hurt is to keep the circle as small as possible for as long as possible. Because being direct is essential to reconciliation. Don't build a posse, go to a person. Now, here's why I where I have seen this get twisted. I've seen this passage and this process weaponized. And here's how. It happens... When you have relationships with uneven power differentials, the passage here says, if a brother or a sister sins against you, that assumes equal relationship, equal in terms of power and influence, brothers and sisters, equal in terms of role. We are peers. We are brothers and sisters. One is not in a position above another. Where this passage gets misused, and I've seen it done in churches, 
I've seen it done with, with, with pastors or, or with bosses or with leaders or with abusers or family elders. So any relationship where there is an obvious power differential in play, in those cases, the idea of telling someone, go alone and talk to that person is not only unwise, it's cruel. Oh, you're going to make me go alone and talk to my abuser about their abuse? And, and we can count on the outcome of that meeting, being the one in power will prevail and the one beneath will be wounded further. I have seen Matthew 18 used in this way, to keep unhealthy power in place while squashing any necessary feedback or critique. When there is a power differential, it immediately requires moving to the second step of the process, okay? Meaning, meaning bringing one or two others into the conversation. Why? To protect the one that does not feel they have safety to be in that room by themselves. They don't feel they can safely have a voice one-on-one. -on -one. So to address the power differentials in play, that must be understood. That said, the goal and the way the vast majority of conflicts the conflicts we encounter are to be handled, is a person to a person. This is how the vast majority of them take place. Brothers and sisters working it out together. The circle stays small, but we must be willing to start there and stay there as long as we can. If that doesn't work, yeah, the circle gets bigger. Okay, you add one or, one or two more people. If that doesn't work, there may be instances where a larger community of faith, for safety reasons, needs to be informed. And then if still no reconciliation has been found, there may be a need for some boundaries to be put in place regarding their involvement in the community, their involvement in your life. But what I've found most often is when things go this far, usually those folks have left the community anyway. On rare occasions, you have to help them find a way out. Why? because of love for the community. Shepherds protect sheep from wolves. And sometimes wolves have to be removed from the sheep pen, which is what we see in the line that, that in this passage that says, treat them like a Gentile or a tax collector. But here's what's interesting. By definition, the Gentile or the tax collector in this context is one who is not in the community of faith. There's a, a distance of relationship. So I would offer this question to you as a caveat here. How did Jesus treat Gentiles and tax collectors? Answer, Jesus loved them. Jesus had dinner with them. Jesus engaged with them. He left the door of relationship open. So here's the overall truth that this passage is showing us. In relationships, we must have good boundaries while also being ready to build good bridges. We don't permanently write people off. We may need to disconnect for a time. We may need to change the way we relate to them for our own health and our own safety. But even amidst relationships that are not currently reconciled, we hold out hope 
that because of Jesus in them and in us, reconciliation is always possible. That is the hope behind the process of reconciliation. That's the first thing. But don't approach this process without the second thing. And here's the second thing. The prayer of reconciliation. The passage continues, Matthew 18, 18. Let's read it together. Big voices, go. I assure you that whatever you fasten on earth will be fastened in heaven. And whatever you loosen on earth will be loosened in heaven. Jesus is saying, when you approach these conversations and these circumstances, the ones that require reconciliation, he's saying you cannot afford to approach them without prayer. Prayer is what softens the soil of broken and hurting hearts. This is what we need. I remember years ago uh, at our church in Redmond, there was an event we were decorating for in the sanctuary, and, and it was kind of a maritime theme, and there was these big barrels at a second-hand store that was down the street that were, would be perfect for the decor of, of the stage. And our decorating team said, we went to that second-hand store, and we asked about these big barrels and, they, and, and if we could borrow them, and the lady was like, no way, you can't do that, and she was a little bit short with them, maybe even a little bit mean with them. And I said, oh, that's, that's a bummer that, that she didn't, you know, wasn't open to anything about that. That's really, really sad. They said, yeah, yeah, she was really not, not very nice. I said, wow, it's, I'm, I'm sorry for that. And, and they said, well, we've got an idea. I said, what's your idea? They said, we want you to talk to her. <laughs> I said, really? You want me to talk to her? Yeah, we're going to pray, and then we're going to send you to talk to her. So we did just that. We prayed. We prayed for favor. We prayed that God would open the door. And I remember walking into that second-hand store, and, and there's the woman they identified. And I, when I told the woman what we were doing, here's what's going on at the church, and we're having this event, and those barrels that you have would be perfect if we could borrow those or, or maybe even rent them. Um, we can't afford to buy them, but, but could we do that for this event, and then we'll bring them back. And she was writing down. I remember she was writing something as I'm talking to her, and she didn't even look up. She just said, sounds good. You can borrow them. <laughs> I'm like, Really? I mean, it's, it's, it's cool? Yeah, do you want me to sign anything? No, I know where you are. Go ahead and take them. Just bring them back when you're done. It was just that simple. I, I have to believe that it was that prayer of favor that made that possible. I, I've, I've, I've seen that take place. See, um, prayer is what turns no's into yeses. Prayer is what turns defensive arms into open arms. Prayer is what makes stuck relationships free. We cannot underestimate the importance of prayer in any effort of reconciliation because of this. Any reconciliation not grounded in God's kingdom will be much easier to dismantle in this kingdom. If we want reconciliation to take place and to take hold, we will bathe those times and those conversations in prayer. Not just because of what God does in the person that we're talking with, but because of what God does in us. 
See, I have yet to see the problem between two people or in a circumstance where one person is 100% wrong and the other person is 100% right. I've yet to see that take place. Now, I've gotten close with Paula a couple of times. I've probably been 98% wrong a couple of times with Paula, right? But it's never 100%. I've seen some circumstances that it is obviously mostly one person's fault, but blame never falls on just one person. There's always room for both to grow, which means for true reconciliation to happen, we get to pray in a very specific way, and here it is. In the prayer of reconciliation, we are asking Jesus to correct both the heart of the one we are at odds with and the heart within us. Too often, we approach these conversations without first allowing Jesus to address the bitter places of our lives, places that need correction in us. It's like years ago, I was... um, putting pantry shelves, our laundry room sits under the stairwell, and there was this big open space to, to store stuff, but there was nothing in there. So I put shelves in there, and I turned it into a pantry. And I was, I was so excited because it involved lots of sawing and lots of measuring. I even had to cut 45-degree angles, not just 90s, but 45s. And I was so excited. I was doing math. It was working out great. I was so thrilled. It all came together really well. But my, my little saw is battery-powered. And the the blade was fairly old, not super sharp. And so I would cut these boards, but then after the cut, there would always be these sharp edges to them, these splintery, spiky edges to them that I would then have to file down and sand down. Even though the board was right in length and in shape, it was only going to cause pain until I addressed those rough edges. Friend, you may be 98% right going into that conversation. But if you don't bathe that conversation in prayer for them and for you, I guarantee you will go into that discussion with sharp edges and splintered edges. And instead of finding healing, you'll just add more punctures and scrapes to their pain. You may even end up spending most of the time in that discussion talking about the flawed way that you shared instead of gaining understanding as to what it was that you shared. This is why we've got to seek Jesus to help us work it out, that we fast and pray around these conversations because without Jesus, we can end up being right regarding our statements but being completely wrong regarding the relationship. That's why we need the prayer of reconciliation. It's the second part. Here's the last part. We need the power of reconciliation. Let's finish the passage, Matthew 18, starting verse 19. Read it with me. Go. Again, I assure you that if two of you agree on earth about anything you ask, then my Father who is in heaven will do it for you. For where two or three are gathered in my name, I'm there with them. You know, we often mention this passage when we gather together for worship. I find it interesting that its context is really the aftermath of a heart-wrenching process of reconciliation. Jesus is actually giving us the hope on the other side of those interactions saying, if you would trust me 
to use this process and to pray over this conversation, you may just experience agreement, a restored relationship, the freedom of knowing that all is well between you and them. And Jesus adds the sweetener as to why we would do that. And here's, here's the sweetener. Here's what it is. Jesus says, when reconciliation happens between the two of you in the room, he says, I'll join you in the room as well. <laughs> when reconciliation is happening at the table, Jesus pulls up a chair. Or perhaps it takes place the other way. That when Jesus pulls up a chair, reconciliation happens at the table. Either way, we see this truth. Spiritual agreement is kingdom rocket fuel. People spend their lives looking for miracles, looking for signs from God. You want to see a miracle? Trust Jesus for the miracle of restoring a relationship that's been broken for years, of finally seeing healing. Those are the miracles that last for eternity. Because relationships are eternal. The presence of Jesus at the table makes that possible. I, I, I absolutely know that to be true. Now here's what I don't know. Regarding your relationships that are hurt or broken right now. I don't know the timing for God's healing for that. I know that we all have some relationships that, that we long to be reconciled, but it just hasn't happened yet. But I do know that Jesus would tell us once, once again, don't close the door, don't give up. Keep persisting in prayer regarding that. Additionally, I don't know which of your relationships require healthy boundaries as part of God's healing. Again, this is where we need to pray for wisdom and to walk in God's power. But the great thing about boundaries is that when things get healthier, boundaries can move. They can change. And the presence of Jesus reminds us that change is always possible. The beautiful promise made available to each of us is this. When we are in agreement with one another, Jesus is there with us. And the outcome of that agreement is, is the promise here that there is power then in our prayers. The, the prayers that come out of our hearts in that moment are powerful. God says, anything you ask in that moment, I will do. Huh. Now, this doesn't mean God is a genie that suddenly, oh, we got three wishes. We worked out this relationship, and now I can wish for anything I want. No, that's not what this is saying. What it does mean is that in those miraculous moments of reconciliation, we are almost forced into a place of alignment with God's will, which means the prayer we pray then will be the kinds of prayers that God loves to say yes to. Prayers that are actually in accordance with God's will. That's the power that comes out of reconciliation. That we experience God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. That's the power of reconciliation. With that, I will wrap up with this. Um, years ago, we were youth pastors at the time, and, and at, at that summer, we were running the camp that was going on for our movement of churches. 
And just prior to the camp, the few months prior, there was a, a couple, a key couple on my youth staff. And through a variety of reasons, I had to ask um, the, the wife of the couple to step away from her role on the team, to take a break, uh, to, to step away for, for a season. Now, much of that I, I would do differently, and I later apologized for the process around those things. At the time, it was difficult, but it was also necessary, but it wasn't done very well. But I remember her husband, who was a friend of mine, um, being so hurt. Going, to, He was coming to the camp, but all this had taken place just prior, and he was so hurt about that event. Um, and this was a dear friend of mine for many years. And I remember just hating that feeling, that feeling of tension, that feeling of distance. Like for the whole week, it was like, I felt like I was holding my breath. Eventually, towards the end of camp, we were able to, to get some time. And really, under the Spirit's leading, we talked it through. And we were able to find reconciliation. And I can only tell you that in that moment when forgiveness was given and understanding was achieved, it was like something was lifted from my eyes, where even the way I perceived that beautiful campground was different. The, the flowers were more colorful, the bird songs were more beautiful, the, the breeze through the pine trees smelled pinier. <laughs> it was like all week everything had been muted and dimmed until we could finally work it out. But when we did, it felt like the world came alive. Now, there was obviously other healing that would take place over the years in my relationship with her, his wife, and then with them as a couple. And thankfully, all that took place as well. But I can still remember the freedom found in that moment of reconciliation. And it's helped me to have that same hope for the moments of reconciliation that continue to be required in my life. Those moments that require that same miracle. That is a miracle that Jesus desires for each and every one of us. That's a miracle that Jesus desires for you. So if we would decide today, I'm gonna to lean into God's process of reconciliation. I'm gonna bathe that process in prayer and then I'm trusting that I will experience God's power in reconciliation. If we would do that, a lot of things begin to change. And a summer playlist song will begin to have far greater meaning when we discover that with Jesus in our lives, we can most definitely work it out. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. To stay connected with all things Cove Church, visit our website, covechurchpnw.com, or on all social media platforms at Cove Church PNW. We'll see you next time.